This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Welcome to Better Late Than Never. My name is Dave and I'm your host. Normally on this program, I get a friend to watch a movie that they've never seen before. We talk about it, we watch the movie, and then we talk about it again. But today we're doing something a little bit different. I'm joined by my friend Josh. Josh, hello. Hello. And so, Josh, we were going to, for this podcast, cover the movie Dune. Correct. But then we thought to ourselves, while we're at it, why not cover the book Dune? That's also correct. You see, I have not seen the movie Dune and mm-hmm. suggested it for the podcast for a future It was episode. a good suggestion, by the way. Thank you. And you mentioned that, well, if we were going to watch the movie, I should read the book first. And uh, we had already made plans and set a date for when we were to record a podcast about the movie, which is a week from now. And I threw down and said that I would read Dune between now and when we sit down to record the film Dune. In one week. In one week's time. I'm going to read the book Dune. The entire thing, front to cover, no cheating, no skimming, no cliff notes, no Dune for Dummies, just this dummy reading the book Dune, all 1,250 pages of it. I want to make it 100% clear that I do not believe you can do this. I think that is a question I'm asking myself every day of my life since I've agreed to do this. Because you have a job. I have a full-time job. Yeah, you're not just going to be sitting on the ca- I think it would be difficult for you to do this even if you were unemployed or on vacation, but you're actually going to try and read Dune. I've never been able to read. It's been years since I've read a book on vacation. I, I don't know. I feel I envy people that have that kind of time. Well, I mean, you do have time when you're on vacation. Uh, yes. That, that's why it's a vacation. But typically I spend it doing active things. Oh, God, you're like my father. Um, you know, like vacations are worse than your actual life kind of people. Oh, well, I love, I always have a great time, but it is one event to the next. That's how I All roll. Right. Maybe not worse, but uh, more exhausting, I should say. Bringing it back. Josh, I read very fast. Reading, I'm awesome at it. And I'm telling you, I would have a lot of trouble reading Dune in one week. Well, I'd like to just also say there is a bit of a backstory to the backstory, which is that this copy of Dune was given to me by you as a gift. So it's sort of my penance, I think, for taking so long to actually appreciate the gift. You did this very generous thing, 
And for years, I have just been letting it sit on my shelf unread. So, to atone for that, I will fiercely and dedicatedly tear through it in the next week. The other thing about me as a reader is that I am voracious. And part of the reason I don't pick up long-form novels regularly is because they start to take over my life. This book, I mean, (laughs) there could very well be an all-nighter involved. There is definitely going to be, you know, people in my life asking me to do things and me being like, no, I have to read 200 pages of Dune to stay on schedule. It should be interesting on the subway. I don't typically burden people with... uh, Well, I do eat breakfast on the subway, which some people probably would say is rude. Listeners, is that rude? Well, what are you eating? Is it something smelly? Bacon and eggs, usually. Uh, I would not consider that rude. For me, it's all about, are you stinking up the train car? Listen, I am really excited for you to read this book, and I hope that you can accomplish it. I think it'll make watching the movie a lot more interesting. Oh, and uh, for the record, we will be watching the... uh, david lynch 1980s dune is not there the, uh, any other kind not yet but uh denis villeneuve is gonna see what he can do about that you know I'm also su- there oh, was sorry. a uh sorry just real quick there was a uh reboot remake a th- i think mid aughts or late aughts remake on tv that uh i think it was a mini series they did the I didn't watch it, but I believe it was Dune and the uh, rest of the original trilogy, Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. Interesting. So we won't be covering that. We'll be doing the actual 1984 absolute shit pile that that is Dune. Now, can I drop something that I've learned? I, I have unfortunately learned something about Dune. Please go ahead. There are several cuts of it. There are. And there is somehow a version of it that is even longer than the interminable theatrical release. But um, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Josh, we should talk about this this book a little bit. Absolutely. Said movie. Yeah, so it's by David Lynch. Yeah, it's by David Lynch. He wrote it in 1984, and it takes six hours to read. Oh, wow. No. Um, so, Josh, what do you know about Dune? I know nothing about the book. I almost forgot it was a book when I suggested it as a movie, and then you reminded me that it was a book. Yeah, it's definitely a book. In fact, it's a series of books, only one of which is any good, if you ask me. Is it like an, <laughs> is it an Ender's Game situation where they every book is the perspective of another character from the first book, or does it follow the same sort of tro- troop of people throughout the Duneverse? It is not exactly an Ender's Game scenario like you described, but it is 100% an Ender's Game scenario in that only the first book is worth a damn. Oh, I yeah, disagree. I went there. Ooh, um, Orson Scott uh, what, Card is rolling you over big in fan a of shallow speaker, watery grave Speaker somewhere. for the Dead. Hey, man, I didn't read those books because they were bad. I read The Bean Saga. Okay, well... Dune also has its own bean saga, a set of kind of lighter, fluffier, more commercially accessible sequels that were written many years after the original, yeah, probably did? as a cash grab. Oh. Not by the original author, though. Orson Scott Card did that to himself, but in the case of Dune, it was uh, his son, oh, I think. Oh, yes, I have heard about this, yes. 
Yeah, I haven't read those, but I did read every single... Ins- I loved Dune when I was reading it. I thought it was freaking fantastic, and I read every single one of the books that came after that. I think there's five or six total. And I gotta tell you, after that first one, I mean, maybe the second two in that kind of first trilogy are all right, but boy, after that, they get bad, and they are long. <laughs> like, you think Dune is long? Fucking... God Emperor of Dune is like four times as long as regular Dune. That's something it's, like 5,000 pages. All right. It's not exactly that long, but it is a doorstop. Wow. Yeah. And it's boring. Holy shit. Anyway. Well, the first Dune's great, though. How does this? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like. So, yeah. So I was expecting you to praise them, but you did not care for them. So what would you You say Lord of the Rings is a significant, uh, a more, a, a better series. Well, Lord of the Rings isn't even really a series. Like, they were written as a single story and then broken up. Okay, you know? but if you tack on The Hobbit and then the other two Hobbit books, you get... Uh, just one Hobbit, bro. No, there's three movies, dude. So there have to be three books. Okay. Oh, oh Josh. Oh, Josh. Wait, is What this... has the modern world done to you? Is this a Mandela effect where you are in a universe that only has one Hobbit book and one Hobbit movie, and I'm in a universe that has three Hobbit books and three Hobbit movies? Must be, man. Uh, man, okay, so in the sense that does Dune... So D- Dune tells one continuous story over the course of se- seven books or one plus or six total? Well, the original run covers thousands upon thousands of years so it is correct that um the perspective changes over time the first three books are about a particular set of characters and then when you jump to book four a great deal of time has passed and a new set of characters with uh like one character carrying over they get introduced and they're the mains for the rest of it gotcha gotcha but it sounds like you liked the first book the first book is an absolute masterpiece. Wow. I mean, I don't want to... I know I'm coloring your perspective, but, you know, this is a podcast, not a scientific experiment. You don't usually put tip your thumb on the scale like that, though. Well, I mean, I guess it's possible that I'm looking at it through rose-colored glasses. And I should also probably throw out that um, I've only read it once. I haven't read it since I was a kid. And I'm not going to be rereading it for this project, although I will reacquaint myself with it through some uh online materials but um i mean i think i remember it pretty well and part of that is because i loved it okay okay so i'm trying to think of an equivalent um book in my uh i think it's like how i felt about 1984 but it's a significantly shorter read yeah also maybe a little less uh fun hey i mean Come on, George Orwell and fun go hand in hand, brother. It's true. He has that one book with all the talking animals. And <laughs> Wait, then... you mean the one with all the talking animals, Animal Farm? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I must have uh, gotten a little confused here. Or maybe it's this alternate universe I'm inhabiting. Oh, yeah. So, all right. So, let's let's start with this. What genre do you think Dune is? Oh, Hmm, what genre do I think Dune is? Sci-fi. Right on. And can you think of any object or 
tradable good that might be important to the Dune universe. Oh, oh, oh my god. Yes, I'm, I do know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Unobtainium. That is 100% correct. Yes, yes. This is where that term was invented, Josh, unobtainium. Wait, are you fucking shitting me? I said that as a joke. Yeah, I, I sorry, I was I was getting back to that accept and build kind of thing. <laughs> well done, well done. That's why I don't do it. I don't want to lead people astray. Uh, I have a responsibility all... as a podcast host, Josh. We're all so skeptical in this day and age. Yeah, but um, so... I mean, there there's a phrase that's associated with Dune in the Dune universe that references uh, trade and something that's important about their economy. Do they? But I guess are there you bit, don't know what that is yet. Are there Bitcoin farms uh, um, taking up too much natural resources? Yeah. The human race is nearly extinct because all human endeavor has been oriented towards mining Bitcoin. I actually read an article that I did not take the time to question the veracity of that did indicate that the electricity use of Bitcoin farms is like crippling power grids in the UK. Yeah, it's an incredibly energy intensive endeavor. Um, Are there any animals that you can associate with this book, Josh? Uh, I feel like there's dogs, and I feel like there is a giant sarlacc-type monster. A giant sarlacc-type monster. Some kind of... Some kind of... Uh, I'm not thinking of the f- movie Tremors, or rather, mistaking the movie Tremors with Dune, but I, or Star Wars, but I, I do feel like there's ground... Uh, I mean, it takes place in the desert, I, be- I believe. Yeah, uh, that was going to be my next question, is what kind of planet does this take place on? Uh, it, takes pla- see- it takes place on planet Earth, buddy, and it's great again, I can tell you that much. No, it probably takes place on, like, some barren wasteland sand planet named Dune. Hmm, okay. Oh, wait, is Dune the dog's name? I can't tell you that. That's fine. Do you get that Indiana Jones riff? I do now. We named a dog Dooney. <laughs> oh no, am I becoming one of the We Hate Movies guys? You so n- there you got no quotes associated with this yet? <laughs> no. All right. Anything else that you might predict for this book before you launch into reading it? <laughs> I just think I- I'm going to be like <laughs> delirious at 4 30 in the morning next wednesday trying to read it and poor robin my girlfriend is gonna be next to me trying to sleep and she's gonna you know wake up and say please for the love of god stop reading dune and i'm gonna look to her and say i can't (laughs) and i'll start weeping and i'll crawl into the fetal position and she'll have to big spoon me and then i'll wake up and uh i'll i'll i mean i assume at that point have to concede that couldn't happen but i do think there is uh there's a phrase there is a quote by hunter s thompson the only thing worth doing is worth doing right and if you say that dune is worth doing then i'm gonna do it right right on um, I would also say that this going into this book, 
I actually have somehow managed to avoid knowing just about anything about what happens in it. So I am excited to be reading a piece of work that I can't stumble across spoilers on Twitter or Facebook that I can't accidentally Google and find out, have the whole thing ruined both because it is what at this point, 30 years old or 25 years old, considerably Um, older 40. Uh, this book was published in 1965. Holy shit. Yeah. 53 years old. Young, 53 years young. You know what they say, 50 is the new 17. I say that all the time. So, okay. Um, I think then, Josh, we're ready to let you go and read this thing. I mean, you know, because this is sort of an experiment, I'm taking it, obviously, I'm taking it a little more lackadaisically. But also, there's the fact that I'm telling you, once again, I don't think you're up to this. Oh, I don't think you're man enough to oh, read Dune in a week. I am going to show you. Yeah, you want to you want to make a bet on it? I'm going to show you how many men I have inside of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't gauge how the... So, also, listeners, not that you need to know this. In fact, Dave, you cut this shit right out of the pod. Uh, we're doing our first Skype session uh, we got this. In, this was inspired by the Flophouse, a show, a podcast that I love and have nothing negative to say about. Huh. Well, I guess that's it. Do you have any plugs? <laughs> Not at this time. Thank you. Oh, that's a shame. All right. Well, Josh, I'm going to see you in one week. And that's how much time you have to read Dune by Frank Herbert. Good luck to you, and I'll catch you next time. Frank! This is the part where we're reading the book. And now it's done. And so here we are, one week later, and the question is, Josh, did you finish... Frank Herbert's Dune. Oh, I finished Dune! I finished, my friend. I am amazed. 800 pages. 800 pages. And, uh, you know. Honestly, Josh, I am really impressed with that because this book is a doorstop and it's not light, easy reading. This is, it's a dense read. Well, and you you weren't just like sitting around doing nothing. You were working full time too. Why? Thank you. I w- I will toot my own horn and say that I got halfway through it and had uh on by Wednesday of this past week, and I read three hundred and ninety pages in the last twenty four hours. Damn, son. So and it was a struggle because uh there is a section in the center of the novel that was uh, unbearably slow to read. Huh. Well, I'm just going to remind everyone real quick about my status on this before we continue. I am a fan of the book, but I only read it once about 20-ish years ago when I was a uh, an adolescent. I do think I remember it relatively well for all that, though, so... Just to be clear, if I make any mistakes, that's going to be why. But uh, let's talk about you, Josh. 
How did you like it? Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. It was quite a read. So I started last Saturday. I was taking the Amtrak from New York to Worcester, carved out about two hours on the Amtrak, and got through the first 125 pages. It was easy to start. It was easy to get sort of uh, caught up in. So props to the plot. I mean, I don't. I, this is not where we're going to walk through the plot of the book. So I, I, I enjoyed it very much. I found the characters engaging. I was very interested in the story, and I understand why it's a sci-fi legend. I get why it is, you know, in the canon. It's, you know, I, I've got a lot to say about it. So that's all safe for now. It was a good read. There was one slow um, portion, and uh, then it started to pick up steam again. So I, I'm not sure if that was intentionally drawn out to tease the reader, but uh, I thought it was, yeah. Uh, cool. cool. I probably should have asked you this last time. Are you a fan of sci-fi as a genre? Oh, yes, very much so. Okay. Uh, some of my favorite books I've read are the Dark Tower series. I, I guess you wouldn't consider Lord of the Rings sci-fi, but it is fantasy. Well, so sci-fi similar. and fantasy get lumped together a lot. So. Yes, uh, especially on streaming services. It's it's like rare that a streaming service just has sci-fi and fantasy. Have you walked through a bookstore in the past 50 years? Because they get lumped together there, too. Those, those still exist. I thought everyone just bought everything on Amazon. Oh, you're right. There aren't any bookstores anymore. <laughs> That's terrible. I would like to plug bookstores. Please yeah. go to them. Please, please, please uh, frequent them. Interestingly enough, I feel like Dune, though it is a sci-fi, also has strong fantasy elements. You know, because the science fiction isn't... Um, it's kind of that Star Wars-esque mystical sci-fi. Yes. You know, where there's uh, certain elements of magic and mysticism mixed in. Well, that, it, it doesn't dwell on the fact that they can do things like travel through space. That's not really ever a component of it that factors into the storytelling. Well, and also their ability to travel through space is, in certain respects, enabled by magic. Like, okay, so uh, the spice, melange. The s- melange. That basically gives you, for all intents and purposes, magic powers. You know, it makes you kind of psychic. It makes you stronger and healthier and live longer. And for some people, it makes you capable of holding space. Yeah. So, yeah, oh, you're right. It is, they do call it melange. I, I sort of overlooked that. That That's interesting. What did you have in your mind? So I just spice. Just I kept thinking of it as spice. Oh, right. Well, um, so long as we're talking about it, let me uh, call our attention back to some of our predictions, which we didn't do quite as formally as we did for previous movie installments but sure we have a few and you know in general i feel like we're just going to do this a little less uh less formally than the movie podcast but number one you predicted that this would be a sci-fi book very good i asked you josh do you think there will be some kind of important object or tradable good that is important to the story oh yeah answer yes unobtainium yes well, I think that panned out. Yeah, I would like to call attention to the fact that th- this seems like a Keystone uh, uh, novel, and it, Avatar has got... He, I mean, we talked about all the things that Avatar lifted from. I would lo- Dune is absolutely one of those things. You think so? Oh, 110%. Like what? 
I mean, just the the entire story. It is a an outsider that comes into a native community and is actually the best of the whole community at He's everything. Literally, their messiah. He's literally their messiah. Um, the fact that there there is this material being mined from a planet, and that they have this basically colonial relationship with the indigenous people there, where they take advantage of their well. Okay, so they don't quite take advantage in Avatar of the people's ability to mine unobtainium, but they do take advantage of the people's connection to the substance. Yeah, the thing is, though, I mean, Dune might have been one of the first novels to establish these tropes, potentially, but I think by the time you get up to Avatar, these are just kind of like standard generic movie tropes that it could have been borrowing from any one of a dozen different properties, not just Dune. But I was impressed. I mean, it was like, this is the OG story this is the cornerstone and i and probably Mm -hmm. dune i assume is derivative of other literature and culture it's just you know yes it is 40 nearly 50 years old i mean so in our our generation there Uh, were people who probably read this 50 years old now yeah so there are people who read this and for them this is like something that they drew from a lot the it, it also phantom menace like star wars it seems like every fantasy well, not Phantom Menace, but um... Phantom Menace, a child, a child who's the best, uh, like who's a potential, you know, who's sort of like a weirdo and essentially has this uh, secret religious telekinetic ability inside of him. The midi-chlorians, I mean, they don't exactly test Paul's blood, but they do put him through the handbox test with the Gamjabar and all that. So, yeah, well, my thought more, though, was to um, A New Hope and to a lesser extent uh, Force Awakens, where you also have a powerful, magical child who's living on a desert planet. Absolutely. Yeah. And whose powers come to fruition when the male role model in their life dies. I mean, that's that's a huge... Like, that's a huge part of it is his father is killed, mm. and that's what incites him to really come into his own. Yeah, overthrowing an evil empire. Yeah. Yeah. Led by an emperor. Led by an actual emperor. Yeah, yeah. Is there any particular phrase or quote that you took from this book? Uh, Fear is the mind killer. I shall not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Yeah, the Bane Gesserit litany against fear. Okay, so you just dropped a pronunciation. So you said Bane Gesserit? That's how I do it. I think uh, I've also heard people say Bene Gesserit. Yeah, I said Bene Gesserit, like Anthony Jezelnik. Right. I my mind has always been Bane Gesserit. Uh do you want to do a bunch of these pronunciations because the book is full of them? Sure, lay them on me. Okay, worm. Sandworm. Sandworm. Yeah. They never call them sandworms. Really? Nah, they just call them they they just I mean, they have a native name for them. I forget what it is, but Shaitan. Uh they that might not come up until a different book they mention it i mean they did they definitely mention it actually there is a there is a great thing where at the very beginning of the book paul and duke leto go to see leto leto okay you tell jared leto that his last name is pronounced leto well that's a last name as a first name it's leto how how that doesn't make it's that doesn't make sense that's just how i read it bro so if you say lunch in the different like in a different part of the sentence it becomes lance 
or something like like you don't just change words pronunciation based on where they fall in a sentence well that wasn't a pronunciation change you changed like the entire spelling of the word with that example <laughs> well you leto and leto why would it be a tall e because it's a first name but it's sandwiched between two consonants duke leto atreides leto atreides Ooh, that's leto atreides no yes no yes Oh, my Jay God. Leno, Duke Leto. What else? What else did you uh, have trouble with? Let it go, Dave. Let it go, Leto. Ugh. You don't say let it go. 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 Leia. Lettuce. It's not lettuce. It's not lettuce. You know, just because it's the first name of someone. <laughs> for anyone who's just listening which is all of you dave is giving me quite the death stare right now it's i would consider it more of a look of disgust uh what would give me some other terms because this book is filled with like oh. words and terminology that defy easy pronunciation yeah i have the uh quisats hatterack I, I went with the hard c quisats hatterack it, yeah yeah interesting uh, uh word in this uh novel used a lot jihad jihad i've never heard this i'm not familiar with that word in any way shape or form jihad it's like a religious holy war oh like a crusade yes like a crusade right but, here we go yeah sardakar sardaukar okay i think i was saying sardakar i i'm i'm willing to cave on that one keep in mind too that I could be wrong about all these. This is just what my mind's pronunciation was when reading it. Well, so. I'm sure there's a fandom. There's got to be a fan website that has the correct pronunciation. Sure, but I haven't consulted any of them because if they disagree with me, they're wrong. Um, what do you think about the movie? Do you think the like the movie's the definitive way to pronounce them? Uh, no. I mean, I, I'm sure to a certain extent that makes a lot of sense, but given my opinions about the movie... I am hesitant to consider it the canonical last word. So wait, wait. What about the hero's uh, other uh, f- uh, Freeman name? The one he chooses for himself? Muad'Dib. Muad'Dib. So we already uh, touched on the Bane Gesserit litany against fear, which uh, I always remembered in its entirety and have attempted to put into practice occasionally. You know, I've been in situations where I've been nervous or afraid and needed some kind of like repetitive chant or something to meditate on to try and focus myself and reduce my fear. And I've occasionally turned to this uh, the this litany, which let me see if I can remember. Uh, I shall not fear. Fear is the mind killer. It is the little death that leads to total oblivion. Uh, I shall let it pass over and through me. And I shall look behind me and see where it is gone and where it is gone. There will be nothing. Only I shall remain. You are definitely a big fan because I just read this material and don't remember it in that great detail. Is that is that correct, though? It's close. Yeah, cool. I mean, the, the most important part to me is the, the first couple lines. I shall not fear. Fear is the mind killer. The last time I used that in an attempt to calm myself was in a situation where I nearly died and um, it didn't work. <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah, I was in a... Was this when you got trampled by the horse? It was when I got trampled by a horse, yes. Have you talked about that on the podcast? No, I guess I'll just... I'll run through it real quick. I was in Peru on a horse going through the mountains, 
and there was a particular part up in the mountains where the horse was going to have to jump over something. And I was just kind of like, man, I don't know. This is a real shitty horse I'm on. I don't know if it's going to make it. So I started doing the litany in my mind uh, just to calm myself down in order to get ready to make this jump. And um, my horse did its best, ran up, made the jump, and got halfway up but landed like front feet over, back feet still on the original side. So just like flumped down, draped across this like hump. And it tried to get itself up, but in doing so, it flipped over its back legs and um, landed on its back with me underneath it. And uh, to a certain extent, it was extremely fortunate that it landed that way because if it had tilted left, it would have crushed me against the stone wall of the cliff face and just sort of like dragged me down across it. Jesus. If it had fallen the other way, we would have gone over the cliff to our deaths. So <laughs> flipping a perfect 180 over its back legs was kind of perfect, even though it didn't feel great. And then, of course, the horse started freaking out and kicking, and then it flipped over and clip-clopped all over my shoulders and back trying to get back on the path. And then, uh, then it walked away. Wow. So long story short... I was very nervous about something, tried the litany, wasn't successful, and then it turned out I was right to be scared. Yeah. I feel like the challenge of this podcast is we're not really hitting the plot. So anyone who hasn't read Dune is not going to really follow all the things we're talking about. But having just read the book, just I'll give you my uh, two-minute my two two minute synops, synopsis, okay, of Dune the novel. Because I'd like to also get this on record so that when we watch the movie, we can talk about the differences. Okay. You've got a ruling family from a water planet, the Atreides, that is headed by Duke Leto. He has a concubine, not a wife, uh, in Lady Jessica, who has fa- uh, mothered his only child, Paul, uh, who is like 12 or 15 i think he's 15 and even uh, and she is pregnant with their next child no one knows this uh it turns out them moving to this desert planet and getting it from the emperor is actually a trap to wipe out their family so they are immediately under siege by their enemy they don't have the upper hand even though they think they do who is this uh, enemy the harkonnens who are just a real scumbag family that has is only interested in destroying the Atreides and, you know, taking over the spice. The planet, the desert planet Arrakis that the Atreides are moving on to is known for a spice that can be mined for a lot of money and is very valuable. But the I the thing is that the Empire has essentially mined as much as they needed and then plans on not supporting the Atreides so they can eventually wipe them out. They're immediately betrayed. The the Duke is killed. Spoiler alert. Um, the Paul and Jessica are left assumed dead. They get help from the indigenous people of the planet, the uh, Fremen. And there's a lot. So this is the p- part of the novel that they take 100 pages to establish what I'm going to say in one sentence. Lady Jessica and Paul escape. <laughs> they eventually... Uh, Okay, Lady Jessica and Paul get away. They get picked up by the Fremen. 
this whole time they've been alluding to the fact that Paul has some magic abilities he's finally started to tap into uh, that give him this omnipresent vision of all future possibilities that can happen. Basically, years go by, they get ingratiated to the Fremen, Lady Jessica, the concubine, becomes the spiritual leader of them, uh, the Reverend Mother. Paul becomes their champion and hero and messiah, and uh, meanwhile, the Harkonnens have been struggling to maintain rule over the planet. They haven't been doing well, the Emperor is pissed at them, and eventually things come to a head, and Paul finds an opportunity to attack everyone but before he does he puts himself through this test where he eats a bunch of the spice he eats a a version of the spice that only few people have eaten it's very poisonous and uh he comes out of it like an actual with these like really tapping into the full extent of his powers they win the battle and he but ultimately he gets everything he wants the close of the novel He's marrying the Emperor's daughter. He still gets to have his concubine. And uh, Lady Jessica is going to be the ruler of Caladon, their original water planet. And his right-hand man, uh, uh, Fremen, is going to be the governor of Arrakis, the desert planet. So it's a happy ending. That's Dune. Cool. So um, just coming back to checking in on your predictions for the plot. Okay. So... Phrases and quotes. We talked about the uh, litany against fear. There's also associated with this story the phrase "He who controls the spice controls the universe." Uh huh. Did you? Uh, does that actually come up in the book? I don't remember. Yeah, I think they say that. Yeah, it's it's the big revelation that Paul has at the end of it that it doesn't matter. He assumes they're going to win in battle because he can see all future possibilities. But it's the fact that after the battle when they try to impose any kind of like, well, you don't, you know, they have the planet surrounded by ships. Paul's like, yeah, but guess what? We can poison the spice and scorch the entire planet. So you're going to do what I say, or are you going to let the spice die? And they're forced to do what he says. Yeah. It's clever. He's a smart kid for 17, at that point, 18. Well, he's lived an intense life. So he has a lot of experience in those, in those years. Very true. Uh, You assumed that there would be dogs, and also a giant sarlacc type monster, maybe similar to like something from Tremors. Yes, that turned out to be true. A hundred percent true. The worms are a huge part of the book. Yeah, they're real important. They produce the spice. And again, similar to Avatar, the hero gains status with the people by riding one of them. Yeah, yeah. it's his. Actually, there's a whole you know two or three chapter section dedicated to his. It's like the final thing he has to do is to become a worm rider. Yeah, it's like the rite of passage. Although it's different from Avatar, he doesn't do it uh, on the sly. He's being watched by all of them to see how well he does it. Well, everyone watches during uh, Avatar. Oh, true, but not the not the boss one that he lands on to show them that oh, he's yeah. a good guy. And then, of course, it takes place on a desert planet named Dune. That was correct. Well, no, not named Dune. It's named Arrakis. It's just called Dune because it's got lots of it's a desert filled with dunes. Yeah, but I mean, people call it Dune, so... I don't remember that happening. It's like a nickname. I don't think that happens. Oh, all right. So, there's a couple other things about this book I was wondering if you noticed. Number one, the homophobia. 
yeah. So this was something I uh, was having a very, very hard time tracking. It's they, subtle. They talk a lot about the Baron. Who and, is the villain of the of the book. Baron Harkonnen is yes. that guy. So in my in my plot synopsis, I dropped Harkonnen. So the Harkonnens are led by this Baron, who's just referred to as the Baron. I think they maybe say his name once or twice, but he's, he's Baron Harkonnen. Vladimir Harkonnen. He's a huge guy. He's a big, fat man. I mean, I envisioned him similar to the big guy in Seven. Yeah, like gluttony. He's yes. big and fat and gross looking, and he needs these like anti gravity suspenders he, in order to walk. Yeah, I I actually pictured it kind of like uh he was he had like he was just a big floating blob on hovercraft, like lots of little hovercrafts. Yeah, I always imagined him sort of like Mojo from the X Men universe. Ah, yes, that's that's the art, graphic art that comes to mind. Right. And so the thing about him though is. Okay, so this is what I was very unclear on, and maybe this is my own naivete. They talk about him and boys, and I couldn't tell if he was having sex with them or if he was eating them. Uh-huh. Because there is a... Uh, I'd, I'd like to find it, and uh, well, it'll be hard to find, but there's a, towards the end of one of the chapters where it's like, the Baron got hungry. He thought about the slave boy they had bought at this planet, and immediately requested him to be brought to his chambers. And I I mean, I, yes, you can interpret that like he's going to molest this slave boy. But I also wondered, because they go on and on about how big he is, and they don't really offer any explanation whether he was like a cannibal and he was fat because he was eating these boys. That's an interesting interpretation, and I kind of like it, but I do believe it's meant to imply that he is raping these people. Yeah, I mean, it's been, well, later, in, towards the end of the novel, uh, his nephew tries to take tries to uh assassinate him through one of these slave boys so it is again they're not they're very vague about it but it is implied that it is a sexual and not cannibalism right and to be clear that that is painted as a moral failing i mean the baron is just a despicable character he's he's an awful villain from the for the whole novel so i see that you know like link like also having him be Having a, a a homosexual predilection is 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 uh yeah. It's not one it's of the great pretty, things about the novel, yeah. but it's also again it's subtle, so it's one of those things that's not super in your face when you're reading it. I didn't think about it to be honest. I didn't. It didn't really register. Uh, I like the the way. I mean, t- talking about it now, it registers in a different right. The other thing I wanted to ask about was uh, something that I think you picked up on, given yours response to some of the words we were discussing uh there's a heavy islamic influence on this book yeah i wondered at times how inappropriate it was that i was picturing all the characters as caucasian <laughs> i was really on the fence i was like i don't i don't think this is supposed to just be a bunch of white americans well it's not necessarily wrong in the case of the non-locals on arrakis because they are portrayed as this kind of feudalistic western european society outside of dune itself the fremen are the ones who i guess are portrayed in this quote-unquote non-white way the Uh treaties and the harkonnens are all this game of thrones ish society yeah they have a they have an actual feudal style fight to the death in one chapter although to a certain extent you the emperor the padishah emperor i think that's got a pert you know padishah 
is a if not a Persian word, certainly influenced by Persian words. And, and his daughter's name is Elusin. Irulan? Irulan, yes. Irulan, yeah. So yeah, I guess, you know, how you envision them is up to you. But um, well, certainly the Fremen, you know, you've got this desert people who are the only ones who are capable of surviving in this desert area who were also incredibly accomplished warriors and just waiting for a messiah to come to spark their galaxy-spanning jihad. Mm. You know, it's... Yeah, I mean, the thing about a book that is so wonderful, and I'm not saying I do this necessarily, is that you can cast it in your head. You get to just... You read about these characters, and I'm not saying that I cast it a certain way as I read it, but I would hear... I would read lines of text and dialogue attributed to characters in a certain way. I'd hear their voice. And that is, you know, reading, you get to basically be your own art director, be your own casting director. Yeah. You're in Paul's head, and so Paul's loved ones and immediate family are probably similar to you. The Harkonnens could be lizards. You know, the the Sardaukar are, uh, late in the book, they talk about how they are blonde. But it's not mentioned, they, they don't really give a lot of physical description of them other than saying they're amazing warriors. Right. And then the Baron gets the most detailed, him and Leto get the most detailed physical descriptions. Hmm. But it's not just, you know, the people, it's also like the words that are used, the culture, like the Fremen have this, you know, uh, very, very strong religious culture mm-hmm. that Paul starts exploring partway through the book. And I mean, part of the reason for the Fremen military success, which mirrors uh, the early days of the Islamic conquests, is the fact that they're capable of traversing the desert uh, mm-hmm. where their opponents are not, which yeah. gives them a military advantage. Uh-huh. And the fact that they're overthrowing this long-established empire, much like the early Muslims overthrew the Persians and the Byzantines. You know, it just there's a lot of parallels there. Well, and that's what I was going to say. Like one early in the early in the story, Paul and the Duke take a ornithopter, uh, which is I just assumed was like a helicopter, yeah, uh, out to look at a sand harvesting vessel that gets consumed by a worm. And after it's consumed, Paul calls attention to the fact that there's two figures kind of crawling away along the sand. And, and every, you know, he's like, I don't get it. Like, the, those guys shouldn't be able to do that. You guys talk about how, you know, dangerous the desert is. And, like, the Keens, who's a planetologist, he's like, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, whatever. Don't worry about it. It's not a thing. And Paul's like, pretty sure it's a thing. Pretty sure they can walk in the desert. Pretty sure that's going to be important in my and the novel's life. Yeah, well, Paul is smart. Yeah, well, he makes these, you know, yeah, he's very observant. But that does come into play. So then, you know, much later in the novel, they have to learn how to walk across the sand. And and then actually when they started riding the worms, I thought, oh, I wonder if those are two uh, Fremen that rode the worm in to destroy the harvester and then were shuffling away to safety. Probs, probably. Because yeah. yeah. you find out that uh, Kynes is uh, also... Uh, Liette there he has a, he has a secondary name too he's also their like messiah he's sort of the he's like a pre-messiah yeah yeah well cool man um I'm glad you enjoyed the book I think uh we should start switching gears here and get ready to uh talk about the movie but do you have any last thoughts before we sign off about doing the book I rec- would recommend it 
And I think the only thing I'm sad about is I thought it would cover more ground given how long it is. I thought so it takes a very, very long time to basically where it ends on page 800. I kind of assumed it would end. It would be the halfway point of, of it. And it would be another 400 pages of the story. You want, So the book ends basically with Paul having overthrown the Emperor, but he's still on the cusp of launching his conquest of the galaxy. Yeah, and I will be honest, the, around page 700, I didn't even think we were going to get to him t- t- uh, taking out the Emperor and taking control of the planet. Because, well, fortunately, the Emperor comes to him. Yeah, well, Mr. Mr. Herbert certainly took a sweet time. Like, there is 650 pages of just Paul becoming the Messiah, and then he races through this battle in the last 40 i mean it's not even like it's well the battle wasn't what was important to him he wanted to explore the fremen culture uh the battle was pretty cool though it was and i hope it's depicted well in the movie because you know it's a pretty important part of the story well we'll find out about that soon in the meantime though josh it has been a pleasure having you yeah i'm excited to talk about and watch the movie all right We'll catch you all next time. Bye. The heat was hot and the ground was dry, but the air was full of sound. I've been through the desert on a horse.